This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Ontario election campaign is set to get underway this week, but the Ford government gave it the unofficial kickoff last week with a campaign-style budget. Rebuilding the economy after COVID will likely be a key theme during the campaign, but so could the government's response to the pandemic itself, which still looms over the political landscape. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Toronto Sun columnist Brian Lilly joins me to discuss how the budget telegraphs the PC's election campaign, what we can expect from the Liberals and the NDP, and whether upstart right-wing parties pose any serious threat to the Ford government. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Brian, Ontario voters set to go to the polls in early June. We're expecting the writ to drop sometime this week. And last week, the Doug Ford government unveiled what is ostensibly a campaign platform disguised as a budget. What were kind of the broad strokes of this, I guess we can call it a campaign budget from the Ford government? Well, before we get into the broad strokes of what the budget is, let me give you an answer to something you alluded to. You expect the writ to drop sometime this week. It will drop Wednesday. It's in the legislation. The election will be called on a Wednesday. Voting will take place five Thursdays later. So it's a little bit different than the federal fixed election date. Now, you know, the government could always call it early, but they're not going to. They're going with what the law says. If they were going to call it early, they would have gone last September before the COVID waves of the fall and the winter and when Doug Ford was doing really well in the polls. This budget, because of the way our fixed election dates laws work now, Every last budget of government is going to be an election budget. It's going to be just like this one, just like the last one Kathleen Wynne did. Here's a bunch of goodies. Please vote for me. <laughs> but what Doug Ford is doing is trying to say, I mean, there's barely any mention of COVID. I think the pandemic was mentioned twice in the finance minister's budget speech, but it's all about building, rebuilding after. And he's not using build back better like Trudeau and Boris Johnson and Joe Biden, but he's saying we're going to build key infrastructure. So we're going to build hospitals. We're going to build schools. We're going to build highways. We're building transit. There's 25 billion in there for new highways and roads and fixing existing ones. There's 40 billion for hospitals and other infrastructure like that and 60 billion for transit. So this is a big, very big spending budget, but it's about getting Ontario back to work building the things that we have needed but haven't invested in. And then he's got things like making life more affordable, a, a gas tax 
cut, not as generous as what you guys had out in Alberta, but it's 5.7 cents a liter off. Things like that. That's the general theme is economic opportunity and rebuilding in Ontario. I'm curious, you know, you talk about building and getting Ontario back to work. One of the big themes of the last two years has been how private businesses have really hurt compared to, you know, public sector workers, you know, teachers and healthcare workers who've been on the job constantly where private businesses have closed. Is there any help for the private sector in this budget? Not really in terms of new help for the private sector. And most of the help for the private sector has come from the federal government. What the provincial government, at least here in Ontario, has been able to do has been minor by comparison because they don't have the spending power, although yesterday's budget may make me question that thought. (laughs) But the feds provided more money. They had the ability. They had the programs in place. At the provincial level, they did things like your electricity bill, we're going to waive that, or here's a $10,000 grant for this period, a $10,000 grant for that period. It was that sort of thing, looking after clearing away property taxes. You know, if you were forced to close down, you could have your property taxes forgiven. That stuff is going by the wayside because we are well open now and the economy is doing better, which is seen by the fact that Government revenue is up. That's part of why they're able to spend so much. Government is taking in a ton of extra money Mm -hmm. because people have gone back to work, but also inflation. And you talk about that gas tax. It's kind of like Alberta. Jason Kenney and Doug Ford can afford to give these gas tax rebates because they're making so much money elsewhere. And in Ontario, it's on the provincial sales tax on gas. Provincial sales tax revenue expect to be up $2 billion. A lot of that driven by gas costing more, but also everything else costing more. Inflation helps government revenue, even if it hurts us. One thing that we always kind of talk about around election time is what is the ballot question going to be? And when you look at this budget and what the Ford government is proposing, what is the ballot question for the government in this election? They want the ballot question to be economic opportunity. Their slogan is get it done. So, as I said, investing in hospitals. Last election, Ford was elected on a promise of ending hallway health care. To give you an idea of how bad it was, there was a, a hospital in London, Ontario, that around 2017 had put out a framework for where you could store patients in the hospitals when the hallways got full, and it included broom closets. That's how bad things were. They'd started to work on a bit of fixing that before COVID hit. And then, of course, COVID has derailed everybody's plans for everything. Mm -hmm. So they haven't fully fixed that, but they are promising, okay, we need new hospitals, we'll build them. We need new highways, we'll build them. And they're trying to frame the PC party and the Ford government as the party that says yes, while the opposition parties say no. And what's working in Doug Ford's favor is, well they're falling into the trap. I mean, they're the NDP and the Liberals are turning around and saying no to everything Ford's putting forward. So it makes an easy ballot question and reinforces his message. I'm surprised they're falling for the trap, but they absolutely are because he'll say, well, we're going to build Highway 413. We need a new highway because the greater Toronto area is getting too big, so congested, so many more people. We need a new highway. And they say no. And they say, well, we need more housing development. And they say no. Well, we're bringing in more than a quarter million new people every year to this area. Where are they all going to live? The highway one particularly I found interesting, especially the response from liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, because wasn't 
he, the infrastructure, the transportation minister in the Kathleen Wynne government who proposed that exact highway? So liberals in Ontario can build highways. Conservatives building highways is bad. Stephen Del Duca held both the portfolio of infrastructure minister and transportation minister. And he approved two highways in the Toronto area, both of them east of the city. So out towards Whitby, Oshawa, for people that know the geography. And both of them were toll highways. Mm-hmm. So they expanded the existing toll highway 407. They built the 412 and the 418, two brand new toll highways. These are liberals building toll highways instead of freeways. And Doug Ford is taking the tolls off and promising another new highway. And Del Duca says, no, 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 we can't do that. He is sounding very much like the NDP, which is odd because, you know, a standard Ontario liberal is very much a centrist. You you go to different parts of the country and these monikers and labels that we give to parties and political movements change depending on where you are in the country. Yeah, Someone will be more left-wing in Toronto than they will be in Calgary, but both in the same party or they'll be more right-wing or what have you. Ontario liberals used to be very centrist. And I remember always describing former liberal premier Dalton McKinty. He he had the air of a New England Republican governor. (laughs) So, you know, kind of moderate, not too far one way or the other. Stephen Del Duca, like Kathleen Wynne, whose cabinet he served in, they're trying to outflank the NDP and make them look like they're not the progressive party. It's puzzling to me because liberals win, in my view, when they play that middle ground and say, well, you don't want to go too far with those guys. They're they're too far on that side. Or no, those other guys. No, no, just come to the nice mushy middle ground, which is funny enough where a good chunk of voters are, probably most voters in Canada. Looking at the kind of landscape as we head into the election period in Ontario, we have Doug Ford with a campaign budget. The Liberals and the NDP don't necessarily have the luxury of presenting a budget, but they have unveiled some of what they're going to be running on. The NDP in an interesting position trying to hold on to official opposition status. They were vaulted into the second party status after the Wynn government imploded in 2018. What are they pitching to voters? Are they pitching a we're ready to be government message or are they pitching a we're going to hold Doug Ford's feet to the fire again message? It depends on who you are. If you're a public servant, a teacher, nurse, general, wider public service employee, they're pitching to you. You know, I, I grew up with orange signs on my lawn because my dad was a boilermaker and worked in industrial construction and a good chunk of our neighborhood when I was growing up in Hamilton was the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, surrounded by people who worked in skilled trades. And back then the NDP was the party of labor. One of their MPPs, a guy named Paul Miller from Hamilton, got booted out. And he was holding a news conference the other day because he's running as independent. And he said, this is not the party of labor anymore. And he's right. It's the party of unionized civil servants but not of the guys who put on work boots to go to work in the morning. It is the government establishment class. So they're promising to hire 30,000 new nurses. Nobody would dispute that we could use more nurses, but where do you find them when we've got a labor shortage, not just in Ontario, but across the country? Mm -hmm. Training a nurse takes a long time. It takes longer than training a teacher, and they're promising to hire 20,000 new teachers. Why? Because their promises are all based around union negotiating demands that the public sector unions make 
or ideological positions like we have a shortage of long-term care beds because for decades, the government of the day, regardless of party, hasn't invested in them knowing that we're going to have this gray tsunami of the baby boomers one day. I mean, I don't know how they didn't see it coming or they didn't act on it. We've known about it for decades, but they didn't do it. Instead of saying, well, we're going to put more money into making you beds, the NDP is promising that, but they're also promising to spend billions to get the private sector out of long-term care because they don't think that the private sector should have a role at all. So that means they've got to not only build all the buildings, staff all the buildings for the new ones, they've got to buy the existing ones because those are buildings and facilities and business licenses owned by people at the moment. You can't just seize them. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One thing I found interesting, you know, looking through some of what the NDP is proposing, what Andrea Horvath is proposing are things that have already kind of been addressed or dealt with. You know, she talks about childcare, need for childcare for people, affordable, accessible childcare. She talks about dental care and drug plans for people without coverage. But these are things that the Ford government has already dealt with when it comes with childcare, like other premiers have all signed deals with the federal government relating to affordable childcare. And then through the NDP liberal pact at the federal level, we're told we're going to get pharmacare plan and we're told we're going to get a dental care plan. Does that pact and do those childcare deals take the wind out of the sales of the NDP somewhat? I think so. And out of the sales of the Del Duca liberals, because as I said, it's tough to tell them apart, especially in these days of coalitions between the parties. The childcare deal, the Ford government said that they were going to sign a deal, but they just wouldn't sign a bad one. And the NDP wouldn't take yes for an answer on that. They demanded it to be done yesterday. In the end, Ford ended up getting, I think, about one one and a half billion more, perhaps, than what was originally on offer. That's good for the people of Ontario. And they also got better flexibility for our existing system. Horvath just wanted them to take any deal. And now she's saying, yeah, she was asked about this, the universal pharmacare plan. And the dental care plan, she said, yes, they're working on it at the federal level, but we're going to be leaders and we're going to go first. Well, if it's a federal provincial agreement, you've got to go together, not first, unless you're going to do what Kathleen Wynne did a few years ago. She started an Ontario pension plan. Now, it never got off the ground and I'll never see a dime from it, but she spent a ton of taxpayer dollars trying to set this up even though she knew that the federal government was going to increase their planned pension payments. So you can't just go around spending money to show that you're virtuous and that you'll go faster than the federal government wants when it won't lead to any benefit for the people. That's just political benefit for you. Looking at the liberals under Stephen Del Duca, he takes over a party that ultimately was decimated, I guess, for for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, in the 2018 election. He's had to rebuild the party, pay off its election debt. 
What position is the Liberal Party in heading into this election? Are they in a position of strength relative to four years ago? Are they in a position of strength relative to the NDP? How do they square up against the government and the official opposition? It's kind of an unknown because Stephen Del Duca is an unknown. People that know him are either liberal partisans who like him and help vote for him, or people that remember him because of his role in the last government and therefore may not like him. He, in every poll, has the lowest name recognition, the lowest profile with voters. And so when they're asked, what do you think this leader is doing a, a good or a bad job? He gets very low marks because most of it is, I don't know, because they don't know him. It's kind of unfortunate for him. He took over the party, I think it was March 7th of 2020, and 10 days later, we were in a lockdown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he had a, a, a about a month-long plan of touring the province. He's done some good work in terms of fundraising. They don't have debt. He has improved the party fundraising system. He has done the mechanical work that parties need to do behind the scenes that voters never, I mean, they don't see the ins and outs of, but if it's not there, then the party doesn't function well. So he's done those things well. Introducing himself to voters, he hasn't done great on. The last couple of polls that I've seen, Ipsos and Abacus, both had questions about which party would you support? And they didn't include the leaders' names. And in those both those instances, the liberals did very well, higher than many people, including some liberals I talked to, expected. But when you asked who would make the best premier, well, Andrea Horvath jumped way ahead. So these polls had the liberals ahead of the NDP. But when they said who'd make the best premier, Del Duca fell well back and Horvath was competitive with Ford. That tells me that perhaps it's a bit of a bump from you know either long-term affection for the Ontario Liberal Party or more likely... Justin Trudeau still does very well, especially in the Toronto area of this province. Maybe it's like a, you know, a shine on from Trudeau helping him. So this election is coming at an interesting time in Canada where we're kind of coming out of the latest wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. And looking at the last two years in totality, Doug Ford is likely the first premier facing a campaign that may turn out to be a referendum on his pandemic performance. I know we had Saskatchewan and BC elections in 2020 that we were still kind of in the middle of the pandemic and you could judge how they had done early on, but we knew that there were still going to be future waves to come. And we've had other smaller elections with new party leaders in other provinces. So we kind of have a summation of pandemic performance for Doug Ford. How much of an issue do you feel that that's going to be on the campaign trail for him? And are there any other issues that you're watching for that could come up over the next month? We'll see how COVID comes up. I mean, obviously, you look at the budget and you look at their positioning. The PC party does not want to talk about COVID. At various times throughout the pandemic, had there been an early election, and it swung widely. At various times, Doug Ford could have won a giant majority based on how the public was feeling about his handling of the pandemic. And at other times, he could have been reduced to the minivan party and been taking <laughs> over the lease on that minivan from Stephen Del Duca. It's been that wild and up and down. But looking at public polling, looking at the public mood on where COVID is, I think most people, except for those who are leaving the PC party because they didn't like any of the lockdown measures or those who felt that he didn't lock down enough, I think he's got enough people saying, well, it was a rough time and he did a good enough job. And I may not have liked everything, but it was a tough go. I think that's where 
a good chunk of the population is when you see that he's at 38, 39, 37%, depending on the poll. Mm -hmm. So they're hoping to not talk about COVID. And so the fact that we're coming out of a wave as the campaign kicks off is good, as opposed to going into a wave, that would be worse. But the opposition parties definitely want to talk about it. It's a question of, does the public want to talk about it anymore? You know, I, I was out at a Blue Jays game the other day on a Monday night, and there was more than 30,000 people there. And there's no mask wearing and nobody's fussing and people are enjoying themselves. We're not at the point where people are as nervous as they once were. Mm-hmm. You've still seen a lot of mask wearing in downtown Toronto, including people walking alone by themselves outside. But people are getting less and less fearful in the most fear-induced province when it came to COVID-19 in the entire country. That kind of leads me to my next question. Doug Ford faced some people kind of within his own party who were upset with lockdown measures. We have two new right-wing parties contesting this election. We have the Blue Party and we have the Ontario Party. Similar to some of the dissent I've seen out in Alberta with people on the right disaffected with Alberta Premier Jason Kenney and some of them looking to other parties or some of them looking to oust Jason Kenney as leader. Do either of these upstart right-wing parties pose a threat to Doug Ford in the sense that they could draw enough support away that you could see an NDP win or a liberal win? I don't think so. I mean, that could change. Campaigns matter. Who knows what will happen? But you look at something like the Ontario Party. That was started by Randy Hillier who was kicked out of the Ford PC caucus before COVID. Mm-hmm. And then Randy became someone who, I mean, he's been censured in the legislature. He's been censured on Twitter for going so far as to claim people died of taking vaccines when they didn't. That's how far he went down the I'm against COVID. He, he wasn't just against lockdowns. He was against everything about it. That does not resonate with most of the population in Ontario. And Randy represented a riding. While he's doing this, he represented a riding that was the most vaccinated in the province Hmm. and was screaming about vaccines will kill you all during this time. I mean, he's not even running because he wouldn't get elected dog catcher in a place where I think he's been an MPP for 15 years and a very popular one for most of that. He would not get reelected in that region now. You know, if there's going to be a split, it would be small town and rural versus the suburban and urban parts, but I don't think that it'll be strong enough. I don't see the organization being there for the Ontario party, which is now headed up by Derek Sloan, or by the New Blue, which is headed up by Jim and Belinda Carahelios, who have been in and out of politics and have sued every party they've been involved with. So I'm waiting for Jim to sue his own party. That always ends in legal action for him. So I don't see them having the ability to do that. You know, if there was the appetite for that, I think we would have seen more support for Maxime Bernier and his party than we did last time. So, you know, I'm not expecting much. Well, on that note, we'll leave it there. Looking forward to seeing how this election plays out. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Brian Lilly. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.